welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Listen, uh, there is no, there's no proof, there, there's no statement confirming, no nothing that the real reason Joe Biden is in Ukraine is to look for classified documents Hunter might have left behind. There, there, there's, there, there, I mean, it's possible. I mean, who, who, who could say? He's allegedly there, though, for the president of Ukraine. It appears Joe Biden is going to run for re-election. The New York Times, Peter Baker, Reed Epstein, Lisa Lehrer, they have the story, uh, Biden draws up a 2024 playbook that looks a lot like 2020s. President Biden's strategy is to frame the race as a contest between a seasoned leader and a conspiracy-minded opposition while battling away concerns about his age. This is, this is it. Forget the Wilmington basement. This time he'll have a rose garden and Air Force One and a big white mansion and all the other advantages of incumbency in a year when he is not forced by a pandemic to stick to streaming from downstairs. It's cute how they framed that it was because of the pandemic that he did that. As Mr. Biden prepares to run for a second term, his team is mapping out a strategy for 2024 that in many other ways resembles that of 2020. Whether he ultimately faces Donald J. Trump again or another Republican trying to be like Mr. Trump, the president plans a campaign message that still boils down to three words, competent beats crazy. Whether he can sell that theme again represents a singular challenge given surveys showing the public is not exactly rallied behind him and harbors deep doubts about his age. When Mr. Biden kicks off his reelection campaign this spring, as is widely expected, he will be the oldest president in history, but one of the lowest rated in the modern period, presiding over an economy that is improving but unsettled and leading a party publicly behind him but privately angst-ridden. And rather than Mr. Trump, he may yet face a Republican challenger closer to the age of his son, <laughs> who is not a crackhead. Um, y'all, Joe Biden has a problem, has several problems. One of Joe Biden's problems is that in 2022, a year should have been good for Republicans. It wasn't, except in certain parts of the country, one of which was Florida, where they did very good and where they gained Democratic votes, they gained Hispanic votes, they gained black votes, Ron DeSantis took a very narrow win by about 1,000 votes from Andrew Gillum, turned it into a 20-point win over Charlie Crist, who was a known commodity as a former governor and as a congressman. And around the country, Republicans who showed they were competent and didn't scream about 2020 the entire campaign season, they won. Ron DeSantis is not going to try to relitigate 2020. Donald Trump will. Ron DeSantis won't, and that gives DeSantis an advantage. It also gives DeSantis an advantage in looking competent, given his handling in Florida as governor. Or let's say it's Nikki Haley, two-term governor of South Carolina, got rid of the Confederate battle flag, stood up to bullies at the United Nations, was a very good economic pro-growth governor in South Carolina. Good luck trying to paint her crazy. 
about the only person who might run who Joe Biden can paint as crazy is Donald Trump. Joe Biden has another problem. It's called the Kamala Harris problem. Democrats behind the scenes are already thinking age will be a problem for Joe Biden. It's one reason he's made the trip to Kiev the way he did. He wants to show that age is no impediment to him. It's part of his messaging in the run-up to kicking off his second presidential campaign. He wants to show that age is no impediment to him, and everyone knows it is. Democrats privately are concerned. They'll claim he's mature. They'll claim he's experienced. They will claim that he's competent. They will avoid saying he's old even though they know it. And behind the scenes, they fret about Kamala Harris. She polls worse than pretty much any politician on the national stage, including Donald Trump. In fact, Joe Biden's polling is no better than Donald Trump's right now, and Kamala Harris's polling is far worse than that. So you take a candidate who polls no better than Donald Trump, you couple him with a candidate who polls worse than both him and Trump, and you run on the national stage? Democrats themselves think Kamala Harris is a liability for Joe Biden, and she is. She is a liability for Joe Biden. And Joe Biden can't get rid of her because it would violate all of the intersectional problems of the Democratic Party right now. He can't get rid of a black Asian woman in favor of who? A white gay man if it's Pete Buttigieg? Good luck with that. Another black Asian woman? Who would it be? I don't know. Then it just looks like you're playing to all those intersectional boxes, and people aren't going to embrace another vice president. Oh, we had to pick one exactly like that one, but not that one. That doesn't go over well. And then Joe Biden, he's got another problem. And this is the problem introduced on a debate stage in 1980. It is what won the presidency for Ronald Reagan at a time polling which was much more reliable then because everybody had a landline and people were didn't have caller ID, so they answered the phone. And all the pollsters, they didn't use robots and auto calls. They used live people at the time. Polling was much more accurate. And in the weeks before the election in 1980, Jimmy Carter was ahead of Ronald Reagan. And then there was that fateful debate where Ronald Reagan asked a question. Next Tuesday, all of you will go to the polls. We'll stand there in the polling place and make... A decision. I think when you make that decision, it might be well if you would ask yourself, are you better off than you were four years ago? Is it easier for you to go and buy things in the stores than it was four years ago? Is there more or less unemployment in the country than there was four years ago? Is America as respected throughout the world as it was? Do you feel that our security is as safe, that we're as strong as we were four years ago. And if you answer all of those questions, yes, why then I think your choice is very obvious as to who you'll vote for. If you don't agree, if you don't think that this course that we've been on for the last four years is what you would like to see us follow for the next four, then I could suggest another choice that you have. It was a powerful moment. And in the last week of the election, there was not a lot of early voting, not a lot of absentee ballots. It had an impact on the American people.
are you better off than you were four years ago, has become now the benchmark by which you judge a presidency. This from the New York Times article. While Mr. Biden seems eager for a rematch, it is hardly certain that he can replicate the 2020 outcome. Not only is his approval rating hovering at an anemic 43%, but two recent surveys, the Washington Post-ABC News poll and the Harvard-Caps-Harris poll, found Mr. Trump leading by several points. Moreover, despite Mr. Biden's legislative victories, 62% told the Post and ABC he's accomplished not very much or little or nothing. Biden aides scorn such surveys, saying that the polling system is broken, as proven by the midterm elections when Democrats did better than expected. Although Mr. Biden has yet to formally announce his campaign, the decision is taken as a given within a circle. The next step, advisor said, will come in March when Democrats announce what city will host their nominating convention. The finalists are Atlanta, Chicago, and New York. Democrats expect Mr. Biden to make his bid official no earlier than April to put off scrutiny of his fundraising until the next reporting deadline in July. It's interesting. It's the Biden aides who are saying the polling is broken. That's usually what the losers do. It's what the Republicans also do. You know, if you took out the Republican polling from 2022, the the national polling averages actually were pretty good. Turns out if, if you took out the, the Trafalgar polling, everyone went gaga over and some of the other Republican polling out there, the Democratic polling was pretty on, or the, the, the public opinion polling was pretty good for 2022. There were some that got it right. Yes, polling, it's more difficult now and it is less accurate now, but in a national snapshot poll, national snapshot polls still kind of remain pretty good for just general public opinion. You want a sense of where the public is? The sense of the public is that Biden sucks. The sense of the polling is he hasn't really gotten as much done as the Democrats claim he's gotten done. The sense of the polling is the Democratic voters of America are tired of Joe Biden and ready to move on. And this is in which he will campaign. And he will campaign against a Republican candidate who may not be Donald Trump. And even Donald Trump is ahead of him right now in these polls, whether you believe that or not. One of the people who will be out there, one of the ones who was set to enter sometime probably in June, is the governor of Florida who was asked about all these people attacking him out there from the left and from the right. Then we can decide from there. Well, Ed, Governor, you're, you've come under a lot of incoming fire recently. Uh, Nikki Haley taking aim at you, uh, Larry Hogan as well, the governor of Illinois, uh, you know, from your visit coming up here to Chicago. You know, what, what are, what's your reaction to, to some of those attacks? Well, Lisa, you know, if you're, an, if you're an office holder and you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs and not getting anything done, no one ever says anything. You can kind of just fly under the radar. But when you're out there leading, when you're out there setting the agenda, not just for Florida, but really for the nation, which we've done over the last few years, uh, people see that and, and the people that, that don't necessarily like that uh, are going to respond accordingly. But uh, I can just tell you, uh, if people are not firing at me, then I must not be doing my job. And right. so I view it really as positive feedback. Positive feedback. Listen, I'm not endorsing anyone. I want all of them to have access to this microphone to be able to share with you their message. I want to get all of them on the campaign stage in August, uh, on, on the stage at the gathering in Atlanta. DeSantis is coming, Haley's coming, Pence is coming. 
Well, I guess if Hogan announces, we'll invite Hogan. We hadn't uh, hadn't invited him. Tim Scott's coming. Brian Kemp's coming. Bill Lee, the governor of Tennessee, is going to be there. Chip Roy is going to be there from Congress. Jim Banks from Congress. Tom Cotton from the Senate is going to be there. I, I, I want all of them to have access to the stage, but I've got to acknowledge, and you've got to acknowledge, that right now as a hypothetical candidate, a third of the GOP to 44%, depending on the poll, between 33% and 44% want Ron DeSantis. That's significant when he's a hypothetical candidate because when a candidate enters a race, it always goes up. Even when it's a candidate who ultimately doesn't have what it takes to get there, you see that candidate's polling go up. Haley's polling will go up, maybe only a little bit, but it'll go up some. She's no longer hypothetical. She's at the forefront of people's minds. DeSantis's will go up, and his is pretty significant. And the odds are Joe Biden, as the New York Times points out, is going to be an old man against a young man or woman on the campaign stage, young compared to him. And they're going to ask Ronald Reagan's question, are you better off today than you were four years ago? And they're probably going to be asking that question as the United States is in or just having come out of a recession. Events change things. They're going to change things for Joe Biden and probably not for the better for him. And the fallback for Biden and his age is a woman nobody likes. Good luck, Joe Biden. Good luck. So my kid has a queen-size bed. We've got a king-size bed. We got him bull and branch sheets, and he's used them. He had, like, kid sheets, and now he's old enough. He doesn't want the, the action figure sheets anymore. Well, we got lost because, I mean, the sheets look like our sheets, except they're queen-size sheets, and they got put in our closet, and the kid was in despair. We got him bowl and branch sheets. They've gotten softer and softer. And he's like, where are my real sheets? He refused to sleep until we found the real sheets because they're that soft. They're that good. They're made with a 100% organic cotton thread. They get softer in every wash. You can stay cozy all winter long with a set of bowl and branch sheets. They really are that good. We have them on multiple beds in our house. My goodness. my Seriously, my kid, uh, he's finally like, my sheets are for kids. I'm I'm grown up now. And... Uh, it's just a, a step of quality above what he had. And now he's like, can't sleep without these sheets. They're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They're made without toxins. They're free of pesticides, formaldehyde, other chemicals. They fit the deepest mattress too, which I love because we have a very thick mattress on our bed and it fits. It doesn't like bunch up and then snap off in the middle of the night when you roll over. You can get 15% off your forced order Bowling Branch sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BowlingBranch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. You know, let me just address this real quick. Because uh, I've gotten questions about it uh, by a number of people asking my take on it. Olivia Rheingold in the Free Press has the story. Let me just read you this excerpt. It all started on Wednesday, February 8th, when Zach Mirkrebs, a volunteer soccer coach who had addressed the student body only twice before, gave an improvised sermon about love. 
Some of you guys have experienced radically poor love. Mirkeebs, a tattooed 32-year-old with a penchant for kum, uh, kombucha, told the crowd. Some of you guys have experienced that love in the church. Maybe it's not violent. Maybe it's not molestation. It's not taken advantage of, but it feels like someone has pulled a fast one on you. Then he uttered the invitation that ignited a movement. If you need to hear the voice of God, the Father in heaven who will never love you that way, that is perfect in love, gentle and kind, you need to come up here and experience his love. Don't waste this opportunity. In a final kind of corny throwaway line, he said, I pray that this sits on you guys like an itchy sweater. And you got to itch. You got to take care of it. Mercreebs told me he was certain he had totally whiffed the sermon and immediately got off stage and texted his wife, latest stinker, I'll be home soon. But students moved by his message lingered. At first, he said it was just 18 of them who stayed back to pray while everyone else headed to class. But then students began texting each other, you need to come back to chapel, something is happening. At Asbury College, every day more students came, praying and singing around the clock taking shifts between classes and mealtimes, and even at bedtime to the point the chapel never emptied. Soon, reports of similar around-the-clock prayer sessions were popping up at other college campuses, including Lee University in Tennessee, Cedarville University in Ohio, and Samford University in Alabama. People are coming great distances to figure out what is going on at Asbury College. It's actually kind of impressive. People have been flying in from Canada and Singapore. Some are driving overnight from South Carolina and Oklahoma. On Saturday alone, the crowd number between 15,000 and 20,000. They don't know what's happening, but if you ask them, they say God is visiting a two-stoplight town in Kentucky. Asbury College, Asbury University it is rather, a revival of some sorts. What I find more notable is how many hyper-online people have a strong opinion of what is or is not happening. They haven't been, they haven't seen it, but they want to dictate the terms of it, that it is authentic if X, Y, and Z happens, or it is inauthentic if X, Y, and Z happens. How do you know? You haven't been there. I haven't been there. I'm fascinated by the story. I did not know, I got asked last week, has anybody... Uh, in your circles, talked about Asbury University offline. No, nobody had. No, nobody had paid attention. And all of a sudden, lots of people are talking about it. People who are not online. There appears to be some, for lack of a better phrasing, the, those of you who are people of faith will understand the movement of the Holy Spirit. If not, some something is compelling kids to go to a small chapel in Kentucky and not leave the chapel. They're praying nonstop. Uh, and it's breaking out in other colleges. Uh, is it something like the, the TikTok ticks? Is it something authentic? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm fascinated by it, and you should be too. Y'all, I want to be real honest with you. Uh, I have looked, because you have asked me to look, for a reputable gold company that can give you advice and answer your questions that's not gimmicky. Like, for example, some of them do certificates, and some of them they try to rope you in with other stuff. You are interested in precious metals for your retirement savings uh, to ease the ebbs and flows of inflation and wild swings in the stock market. 
Advantage Gold. Advantage Gold, that's who you want to call. Uh, Advantage Gold, I have looked into them. I have had them answer my questions. And it is not one of these gimmicky places. There aren't tricks. They really just want you to have a great experience learning how to be a gold investor. Give them a call, 800-450-2566, 800-450-2566. Tell them I sent you. You can get their free gold and IRA investment kit, but call them if you got questions. They're good people, 800-450-2566. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. You can text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. And you can find out all the the great stuff about social media, where I am, all the connecting uh, tissues of the show, if you will, social media, um, live stream, podcast, uh, Substack. I I do really want to ask you that um, I want to ask you to text the word data to 33777 and click the second link and read that. Text data to 33777. Uh, just, you don't have to know, you don't have to pay for the description or anything. Just just click the second link uh, and read what I wrote this weekend. Um, I, I want to move on to something else, though. I, I got to play you this clip. This is, uh, so Ari Melber of MSNBC was on with Bill Maher on Friday night on Bill Maher's show. I want to read, I, I want to play this. Because a a story came out that um, turns out something that even I was saying back in 2020, you know. So let, let me let me put this in perspective for you. I I tended to believe the experts and and still to a degree do when it comes to COVID. Uh, and a lot of the stuff I get from the non-COVID experts, the conspiratorial stuff, uh, turns out not to be true, but they believe it anyway, like all the people dying and stuff, uh, dropping dead, all that sort of stuff. A lot of it is fabricated data that people just believe. But one of the things that I was saying in 2020 that just commonsensically was true is that natural immunity is something you can't dismiss. And a lot of the pro-vaccine people we're very dismissive of natural uh, immunity. And my point at the time, going all the way back to 2020, was that if someone got it and recovered from it, they probably don't need the vaccine. But there are people, like in my wife's situation, with a genetic incurable form of lung cancer, who it would be better for her to get the vaccine than to try to get COVID, just given the odds that she and her demographic were playing. And at the time... Uh, There were doctors who listened to the program who really did not like me talking about natural immunity in large part because in their mind, I was incentivizing people to go out and catch COVID, which wasn't what I was doing. Just the fact was we're all going to catch it at some point. I, I, I know very few people, myself included, who haven't tested positive for it by this point. I Maybe I have gotten it. There have been a couple of times I've been sick, but I tested negative for COVID. I haven't lost my sense of smell, sense of taste, none of that sort of stuff. I haven't had these problems. Um, I actually was in Los Angeles on Bill Maher's show in January, right as COVID was beginning to spread. And I was with a friend of mine. And we both got, it was one of the worst sicknesses. I rarely get taken off air anymore. And I was so sick for so many days Never lost my sense of smell or taste, but had so many of the symptoms. Part of me has always wondered, did I have it and didn't know it? 
But nonetheless, it just seems non. It's common sense that natural immunity works, and the medical community and the experts were beside themselves with rage whenever anyone pointed it out. And many people got their accounts suspended on social media because of it. And now a massive study has come out and shows, in fact, what all of us knew all along. Natural immunity is a thing, and it probably, in some cases, works better than the vaccine. And here is Bill Maher talking to Ari Melber from MSNBC about this very issue. Because I saw in the paper today, kind of a big story, I think. I wonder how much it's going to get covered in the liberal media, because it's about how natural immunity, they did a giant study. 65 countries, or maybe something like 65 countries, many, many different studies. They looked at them all. Natural immunity, as good or better than the vaccine. Something I've been saying since the beginning, and I get called an anti-vaxxer. That's not an anti-vaxxer. This is the kind of thing, I, you know, my problem with the media from both sides is not that you, you guys lie. It's that you tell me your side of the story that you want me to know. You don't tell me the whole story. I'd be curious as to how much play this story gets, because I, I, I remember reading that they did a study of Republicans versus Democrats. The question was, what percentage, this is like a year and a half ago, what percentage of people who get COVID require hospitalization? The answer is less than 1%. Almost half of Democrats thought it was over 50%. They listened to your network. Where do they get that kind of information? That was you to, to you. That was clear. That's bad information they have in their head, and it's from one side. Listen, uh, I'm I'm kind of impressed with Bill Maher's turn. He's still a progressive. He's still a liberal. He's just increasingly anti-woke. And he sees the excesses of the left. One of the most remarkable things that is not really remarked upon these days is how the left is so dominant in so many cultural conversations that when someone of the left, like Bill Maher, sounds conservative, what it suggests is that there is growing pushback from within the left on these issues because elements of the left have overplayed their hands too much. Now, what do I mean by that? I I mentioned this before, the number of progressives I know, like real progressives, hardcore progressives, socialist progressives, who I know, particularly in the tech space, who will privately message me and say, this transgender stuff, man, it's nuts. Or I know one who has a, a daughter who's a competitive athlete. He is very progressive. He was an Obama supporter, donor, uh, supported Bernie Sanders, and then Joe Biden, loves Elizabeth Warren, has the coexist bumper. So, yeah, I mean, he's the, the stereotypical liberal. And he's got a uh, he's got a daughter who's a competitive athlete and is furious about transgenderism. Wants to know is if they want to be trendsetters, why aren't these men turned women competing against men instead of competing against the all-natural women? The left in these conversations gets so dominant, and then they become bullies. They're furious with Bill Maher for daring to push back from the left. They don't like it when someone other saying, look, I get it. I am notorious for calling BS on my own side, and people don't like it. There's there's a level of tribalism in the country now. They think it's a, there, there's a level of disloyalty. How dare you 
criticize your own side. Well, somebody's got to. If I say all the time, if we don't hold ourselves accountable, the voters are going to do it. And I would rather be accountable uh, on my side than have the voters try to hold me accountable. I, I want my side to be intellectually honest. I I was in a restaurant on Friday night. Y'all, I don't let, let me, I've got to preface this story and it's going to get taken out of context anyway. And people are going to leave this off, but I got to, I got to preface with this. I am not going to judge you for wearing a mask in public. At this point, there's, there's no reason. At this point, uh, the, the viral load is mutated so much. It, the, the droplet size doesn't matter. Uh, the, the mask is, is kind of irrelevant. People don't wear them right anyway. I was in a restaurant on Friday night. It's a, how do I describe this place? It's, it's a, it's a, I mean, I used to go there when I was in law school uh, and, and, and consume large amounts of beer with friends of mine at night eating, eating burgers and stuff. It's one of the reasons I put on weight. It, I was this pry guy. Uh, and then I discovered I like beer and like Brett Kavanaugh. Um, this place, it, it's a beer hall. It, it is, uh, you get beer and, and cheap bourbon and fantastic burgers, burgers and milkshakes and beer. That's what this place is. And I'm in there with my kids. The The place still, you hadn't been able to smoke in there in years, and you can still slightly smell the cigarette smoke. And this couple walks in. The, the place is packed, and this couple comes in. They've got a young child. The dad has been injured, and it has a it is walking with the aid of a device. And the couple are in N95 masks, and their child is in an N95 mask. And they sit at a booth directly by me, like in my line of sight. They're at this booth. And they order their food with their masks on. And then their wine comes, the, the adults, the parents' wine comes. And I just got to say, I've been going to this burger place since I was in law school. I never knew you could even get wine at this place. I thought it was like shots of vodka and bourbon and beer, uh, mixed drinks. I had no idea. They, 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 they got their wine. And they took their masks off. And then the the uh, device that the husband was using to assist in his mobility was in the way. And the waiters asked if they could move it. And so the wife gets up, does not put her mask back on, and wanders across the crowded restaurant to move the, the device. No mask on. And at that point, I was like, okay, I, I can get you're wearing your mask. The waiter's present. You're, you're waiting. You're in a booth for airflow purposes, but now you're going to like wade across the restaurant without the mask on. Like I, I make no judgment about people who feel the need to wear their mask. Like my wife has lung cancer. There are places where she's going to go where her doctors would like her to wear a mask. But when you go into a, a beer joint like this and you take your mask off, there's not another person in this restaurant server or person eating there who's wearing one, and then you're not going to put it back on when you decide to go walk across the restaurant. I just, I mean, at what point are you living in fear of a virus? At what point are you virtue signaling your purity about the virus? It just seems like there's some of that going on. And in fact, there is more and more data out there 
that people on the left and left-leaning communities are more likely to wear masks at this point because they want to signal who they are. They're being defined by their mask. All of society worships idols. And it just seems like that's part of it. And if it, look, first of all, I think if you were having, if you had respiratory distress, you had pre-existing conditions that made you vulnerable to COVID, you probably do not want to come into this, this beer hall uh, and have dinner. You probably do not. That's probably not the place you want to go. There are plenty of other places where you could go. To come in with your N95 masks on and then after you order, you take them off when your wine comes and not put them back on when you're walking around the restaurant, that that just suggests something beyond you're trying to avoid the virus. And there are a lot of people who are engaged in acts of symbolism to show their tribal loyalties. Like, for example, Marjorie Taylor Greene is on social media calling for a great divorce. She says it's time to break up the country. Now, the Confederates tried that once, and it didn't go well for them. Marjorie Taylor Greene apparently wants to try it again, this time an amicable divorce. It's not going to happen. But here's the point moving forward. On the left, the more they define themselves still by COVID antagonism in 2024 and and want kids to wear masks and re-shut down schools and force vaccines on people when now everyone's had natural immunity and and we don't need the vaccine yet they still want to do it, that's going to hurt them. But when you have people on the right who say they want to break up the country, most Americans do not want to break up the country. Most Americans don't want to do that. When you have a face in leadership surrounding Kevin McCarthy, whispering his ear, saying it's time to break up the nation, do not be surprised when Joe Biden puts every Republican on defense, including all of the 2024 candidates, on whether or not the nation should be broken apart. They're going to define us by our crazy, and people like Marjorie Taylor Greene makes it really easy for them to define us by our crazy. you got to be careful and regulate your own side, or the voters will regulate it for you, whether it's the COVID conspiracies of the left or the great divorced people of the right. And given how Marjorie Taylor Greene has lived her life, uh, maybe she doesn't need to be recommended even more, any more divorces for folks and countries. Now, let us talk about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. The three-pack, you can get them from EdenPureDeals.com. They are odor eliminators. Listen, now they're air purifiers, so they get rid of the pollen and the dust, the mildew, the bacteria floating in the air. But the most useful part of it is they are odor eliminators. I'm, I'm telling you guys, uh, my back porch sometimes gets a little musty smelling. We finally figured it out. It was the rug that was mildewing underneath as a screened-in port, glassed-in porch now. Fire up the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, it wiped out those odors. Uh, frying odors in the kitchen wipes them out. Litter box odors, pet odors, smoke odors, you name it. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm wipes them out. You can get one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your basement, your RV, your travel bag like I do. You plug it directly into the wall or you use a USB cord in your car and you can power it with a USB outlet and it just works. If like me, you've gotten cigar smoke in your car, well, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm can wipe it out. EdenPureDeals.com is the website. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is just Eric. My name on the front page of that 
website. You put in Eric, E-R-I-C-K, at EdenPureDeals.com. You get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms. They clean the air. They're filterless. You don't have to get a filter subscription. Just wipe it out on occasion. They eliminate odors, and they work. EdenPureDeals.com, discount code Eric. All right. Can we just divert from everything? Because I just saw this on Twitter during commercial break. Um, this is Lucy. Lucy is 13 years old. This is part of a, a Channel 4 series in Great Britain. Lucy is 13 years old and has been blind from birth. It's a big step coming up to the piano. Ready? Big step. Good girl. Well, they're go. leading her to a piano. Down in the middle. Down. They're putting her hands. We should say that often at the end of a performance, Lucy covers her ears. She likes the applause, but she doesn't like the sound of the applause. Yes. So her fingers go in her ears for sensory reasons. Yes. I don't have to tell people not to. She loves applause. Okay, fine. 100%. Ready? In a minute, you're going to play Nocturne in B flat minor by Chopin. Nocturne in B flat minor by Chopin. Not an easy one to play. all the way down to the end of the keyboard without having set at this piano before. It's unbelievable that she can play this piece. How, 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 how does she study? I mean, how, this is incredible. blind from birth uh, that that's exquisite we sometimes don't appreciate the spectacularity of humanity we are amazing creatures a child who's been blind from birth can learn the notes and the keys to play a beautiful piece of music to delight other people, just absolutely impressive, um, absolutely just just exquisite. Um, Thirteen years old, has never seen, but gosh, I mean, she can feel the music, and so can you. Just just incredible stuff. So distracted by that, it was worth sharing. You guys have a great rest of the day. I'll talk to you all tomorrow.